Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 56, we're talking about staying in the zone, that's the riding zone, and dealing with loneliness while traveling. All that and more coming up. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to a couple of people that helped the show incredibly this past month with the support of $50 or more. Frederick Schriller, thank you very much, Frederick. I know you've been in there before. And Sean Birch, thank you very much, both of you. That uh, means a great deal to us. It's so great to have people that appreciate what we're doing here and support the show. If you're not doing it, it doesn't take $50. You can start at any amount. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention here. And we would love to get you on our monthly support program through our patron account. Drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Now, here we go for Adventure Rider Radio Raw for September 2020. Is anyone not ready to go? No, no, you're fine. Okay. Whatever you are. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-hosts, um, Brian and, and Shirley, um, Brian Ricks and Shirley Hardy Ricks, in Australia, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, having their cup of coffee, and spring is on the way for you, isn't it? It's got to be like right there. Oh, we're, yeah, we're in spring. We change at the first of the month, not the middle of the month. So, yep, it's spring. Spring has sprung, but it's still dark. Mm. Yes, yeah, yes, it is. But um, <laughs> we had a little bit of spring rain yesterday, but most of the days have been beautiful to go yeah. riding. Mm, yeah, you, you're not, you don't get any snow at all where you are. No, we get frost, but not snow. Uh, we had a, a sprinkling of snow probably 50 kilometres south of us. And uh, 100 kilometres north of us, or maybe 200 kilometres north, is the um, the mountains. So, uh, mm. yes, there's plenty of snow up there. But, of course, all the snow bunnies are home in bed because of coronavirus. No one's uh, going up into the snow fields because they're shut. Yeah, you guys are still locked down. Uh, Melbourne yeah. is yeah. Uh, much harder lockdown than us in the country. We, we can go out and we can um, – Brian can even go riding, um, and as of Sunday night, we can meet up with people from another house for outdoor activities. Mm. Read as that as you will. We're thinking, we're thinking picnics. Right. <laughs> wow. Yes, it's a crazy thing we're all going through. I'm going to jump across to uh, Graham Field in Bulgaria. Graham, um, I guess you're you're probably thinking about getting some fall rides in by now. It's beautiful, actually. The skies are that fresher colour blue and uh, the leaves are just starting to go yellow. Uh, it's just so dry. We haven't had rain for so long and mm. haven't had any mains water for three weeks. And oh. there's fires all over the south of the country and there's no water to put them out and there's no money to have um, those aeroplanes that drop water. So it's all a bit of a mess, actually. It's a bit grim. Um, wow. You know, everybody wants warmth and sunshine, but... Uh, you know, coming from England, I never thought I'd want rain, but I could already use that. Yeah, yeah, wow, I, I didn't know that. That's that's a real shame. There's, uh, I'm hearing about uh, the fires in California in the news, of course, yeah. we all are. That's horrible. It's just it's crazy, the, the, some of the weather patterns. Sam Manicom, I'm, I'm going to bring him in. Sam is in the UK. Um, Sam, what are you doing for excitement now? 
<laughs> Hang on a second. We just opened the next bottle of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean like right now, but I was oh, more oh, right, in okay. general. Um, oh, mate, we are getting at some amazing walks in in the morning. Um, this whole period of lockdown has just been fantastic for watching the seasons change. And uh, Birgit and I are beginning to venture a little bit further afield, still very early morning, um, but we're getting in the car and going places. Um, but I'm smiling because um, I've had a couple of rides on my motorcycle um, this last week, which have been just brilliant. I couldn't believe wow. how much I had missed it and how instantly climbing on the back of my bike, I felt like I'd come home. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic. And the weather here has just been brilliant too. And tonight, for example, we've just had a drop dead gorgeous sunset it's warm i'm sitting here in an old pair of jeans and a short sleeve t-shirt and it's it's just fantastic but yeah thinking about all of the people in california wow that's hitting and i don't know about you but you've been seeing about the incredible heats that they've been getting in states like arizona and so on Oh, really rough times over there, hey? It really is. It really is. And there's a few things I want to talk about here that w- with you guys that doesn't have to do with what we plan to talk about. But uh, I'm going to bring in Grant first. Grant Johnson is in British Columbia, Canada. And Grant, I, I know you've been out riding your your, uh, your new bike because I saw a photo that was posted of you riding it. Looks like you're getting a lot of riding. This this pandemic has sort of been good for you for ride time. Yeah. Um, for once, I'm getting out and getting in some riding but it's it's all been off-road i haven't had the 1200 gs out at all this year i haven't even bothered to insure it um it's just not been enough point to do it but i've been getting out on the new drz 400e new to me that is it's 18 years old but uh it works great i've been having a good time setting up the tags for the home cascades so i've had more off-road riding this year than i have in the previous well about 15 or so uh, so that's been really, really nice. I've been super enjoying getting out and just going. And where I was riding in the uh, Hum Cascades event area, there's almost nobody out there. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. The most I saw in eight solid days of riding was four pickups in various places and two quads in one day. That's it. Wow. There's wow. nobody out there. It was amazing. Now, are you riding in places where normally motorcycles go? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's definitely all good riding area. There's a million quads, quad trails in the area, and it's a very, very popular ATV area. Um, plus, there's ranchers are in the area. And there's ranching roads that you can go up and commune with the cows if you want. There's all kinds of them in various places, um, mountaintops. It's incredible views. It's just a beautiful area. It's fantastic for riding. It's all you could possibly ever want. Commune so, yes, with the cows. Yes, it's been wonderful. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, I'm going to jump back to Sam. Sam, um, you were saying about um, riding and how you're, you're just getting on your bike. How long have you been off your bike and why have you not been riding? For those who don't know. Um, five and a half months. And I've not been on my bike because I'm the very lucky recipient of a kidney transplant. And so that puts me in the vulnerable category. So the advice has been uh, to shield and uh, Berger and I took it very seriously because I like my new plumbing. It's given me 10 years of a life that I never should have had. And um, so, yeah, paying full attention to um, all of the guidance and, and so on has, has made an awful lot of sense. But um, over the periods, over the months, we've been working out how we can 
start to get back out and do things and so we've been doing but uh Berger and i this evening we're talking um that yeah maybe we're gonna have to wind our necks back in again because this last couple of days there's just been another spike in in the uk three thousand people um confirmed over the last couple of days Mm. Um, so we just got to watch it and see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm smiling because I'm riding again. <laughs> Natural habitat. And Grant's description of where he's been riding just now has almost had me drooling on my desk, which is not a pretty sight. <laughs> well, trust me, if you were here, you would be drooling. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Sam, so so why now? Why do you why do you feel it's safe for you to ride now? I think in part it's there's an awful lot more known about how the coronavirus um, affects people, infects people. And we have been really religiously paying attention to the instructions and we have taught ourselves. I mean, you'll laugh. I've got this wonderful um, um, bit of wall graffiti, which I saw and took the photograph of in Spain. And it's uh, the picture of um, a very worried looking face peering around the corner. And that's been us for months. If we've been out first thing in the morning, that's what we're doing. Every time we go around the corner, we're peering around to make sure that there's nobody else coming our way so that we can dodge out of the way in time. It's been quite entertaining and we've been laughing at ourselves, but hey, taking it seriously. But we've learned about where we can go where we're just not going to find very many other people. And we've learned about how to keep ourselves um, learned. We've trained ourselves um, to deal with the situation in such a way that we're just dramatically decreasing the chances of us getting infected, particularly me because of my vulnerability. So it's taken time. Um, but we're now feeling more confident to go out and to explore, but still very, very strictly controlling what we're doing. Um, Five and a half months. So that that's a long stretch for you. Oh, it's completely alien for me. Normally, if I'm at home, I'm here for two or three weeks and then I'm off doing something. And that's two or three weeks max. So to be um, here for this length of time has been a very weird um, thing to be doing. But it's been great thinking time. Um, I've got all sorts of things done that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I've been in touch with an awful lot of people that I wouldn't have had time to otherwise and so on. So there are so many silver linings. I thought that I would get quite fed up from the whole process, but actually it's been interesting. So now all your clothes are organized, all the drawers are labeled, all your pencils are sorted out. You've got all that stuff done. Oh, absolutely. And we've been through our wardrobes and our covers and anything that we haven't worn for 50 years has gone to a charity shop and all of that sort of stuff. You know, the thing is five and a half months though, if you live in an area where there's snow, there's a lot of people living in a lot of countries are probably laughing when they hear this and think I'm seven or eight months out Mm -hmm. not being able to ride for the winters. Yeah, there's some other choices, of course, but I mean, um, yeah, so I mean, you're... We're very, very conscious of how many silver linings there are for us just to have such a light place to live and to be, I think I've said this before, but you know, it's the little things like being able to drink the water without having to to pump it and filter it and carry it 10 miles and all of the rest of it. There are so many good things that this period has made me, yeah, rethink about. Yeah. Um, and that you have and, to do. I mean, you got to do that in life, don't you? I mean, because we can all we all have our problems. Yep. 
No, absolutely. This, travel is one of the things that's helped me keep the whole business into complete perspective. Um, I know that there are many people who have been struggling big time, but they've got it a hell of a lot harder than we have. So um, you, never any complaints from us about this situation. It's a case of being positive and patient and looking forward to the future. Well, you mentioned um, not having to pump the water. It just makes you think of you, Graham. Uh, there with you, you said no. I think you said no water main, which I'm assuming that's none of you, no city water coming to you. I know you have a well, but um, yeah, I got a well. It ran dry last year, so I've been super careful this, this year. And you just flush the toilet once a day and uh, do laundry once every because it's so hot, you're not hardly wearing any clothes. You can get away with not doing laundry like once every two weeks. Yeah, we all know and, uh, you do with your underwear. I mean, they can last for a long time, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've just been, I, I mean, last year this went on until Christmas time. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a dry winter. It's been a very dry summer. We're just, you know, we get flashes of lightning. We do, we get the odd storm, but it's just not, it's not sort of rain that, that soaks in the ground. You don't even get a puddle, you know, so... Uh, on the plus side, oh, I've got some. You remember a few months ago, my sewer drain broke. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I mean, well, the other day I was looking at the one of the where one of the breakages was. There was a whole bunch of like weeds growing up, and so I wandered down because I put stones down over the area when I'd filled the hole back in, just so I could find it again if I needed to. And I went down there, and it was tomato plants. There's all these tomato plants with little cherry tomatoes. I thought, well, you know, I didn't plant the seeds. Poop tomato plants. <laughs> I so don't want to even think about a salad at your place at the moment, Graham. <laughs> We've got to try them, you know. <laughs> Quite right, too. They probably oh, taste dear. absolutely <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> a long pause there, Sam. <laughs> well, to um, to kick things off today, we're going to talk about loneliness because, Sam, you, you had somebody write in and, and ask you or, or wrote in to you. This is a quote. Now, I don't, Sam, does the person who wrote this in not want to say their name? It was an email that came to me direct and... Okay. I talked to him and I said, you know, we had quite a conversation um, batting backwards and forwards by email and so on. And then um, in the last one um, on this subject, I, I said, look, you know, this actually might be an interesting um, subject for Raw because people do battle with this. And I would be very interested to know how everybody else um, thinks about it. Can I put it forward? Mm-hmm. And uh, so here we are. Okay. Well, so um, th- this is this is a quote from, from uh, a portion of the email. It says, um, interesting getting the panel's opinion on dealing with loneliness while traveling alone. I found it uh, to be quite a problem whenever I've gone on a trip so far, shorter or longer, short or longer, rather. Um, this one is no different. I found it overwhelms any enjoyment I could be having, and it recurs just about daily, which is a great shame, unquote. Um, boy, that's that's quite a message in there. I mean, that, that's quite a bit of information And that's quite the dilemma, I think, you know, and and I I sort of thought, you know, I think what we should do with this first is we should talk about what loneliness is. 
I mean, how do you, how do you define loneliness? Well, like, I mean, I think we all understand obviously what it feels like to be lonely, but, but what is it? Because I think sometimes when you understand what something is, it sort of helps you sort out how to deal with it. And I know if you, if you look at Wikipedia, which I did, it says loneliness is an unpleasant emotional response to perceived isolation. Loneliness is also described as social pain, a psychological mechanism, which motivates individuals to seek social connections. So it, I, I really like the word in there that really that jumps out at me is perceived, perceived isolation, because I, I think that's a lot of what loneliness can be anyway. Uh, another definition would be sadness uh, because one has no friends or company. And I guess when it comes to travel, that could be local because I'm thinking, you know, when you're out of your element and you don't have your, your regular things to turn to or your regular things around you, whether it be inside your apartment or your home or your neighborhood or possibly even your country, I can understand how that can come about. You guys must have ran into loneliness at different times when you're, when you're traveling. Well, Brian and I have the advantage of always having each other. But even having each other, you can get, we can get lonely. You get lonely for the things that you're used to. The um, family and your home and your friends. And without that, even in the most exotic location, you can feel lonely. Shirley suffered a little bit of that when we were traveling. I call it homesickness, I suppose, when you're talking about the the, the uh, your friends and I've seen you in tears um, when you've been on the phone talking to friends mm. and things like that. That's a different sort of loneliness. Solo loneliness, I, I struggled a little bit, bit with this because motorcycling it, it per se is a solo occupation. Riding the bike is you're in your own headspace and uh, I, I, I quite enjoy that. I sort of get the loneliness when you stop after a long trip. I, I often do a ride of, oh, it's about 800 kilometres to do a meeting and uh, then back. And um, I just love getting on the bike and doing that. And I don't find that lonely. But when you stop and you're in the middle of nowhere, you might have spoken to anyone for the whole trip or for two days. Um, I don't struggle with it, I, I must say, but... I can understand how some people do, and I like that that uh, quote that you you gave Jim about loneliness being a perception of um, isolation. Whatever. Isolation, yes. I think that's um, that that's probably what it is. It's a perception. It's it's a, it's a mindset. It's really hard, and some people struggle with it, and others don't. I think. And sometimes you can be lonely in a crowded place. Yes. Yeah. For sure. You can be yes. on your own in a room, and particularly when you're traveling well outside of your comfort zone and you're in areas where you don't speak the language, can't read the signs, whatever, and you could be in a crowded restaurant or a bar and everyone else is having gangs of fun and you're just there. You can't participate it's, or it's difficult to participate or you might feel shy about participating or going up and just trying to talk to people. It's... Um, yeah, I, I get it. I really do get it. And uh, I mean, there there are things that obviously we can talk about later about how to work around it, but I get yeah. it. I understand how hard it is. Yeah, I remember, do too. Remember um, uh, Bill Bryson had a quote, Shirley, about um, when he was writing a book and he would spend himself sitting in a cafe or a restaurant somewhere writing his notes. And he wrote in his notes that he was sitting in a cafe writing notes. 
that's a, that's a form of loneliness, I think, just sitting there to, doing nothing. It could also be seen as over-research. Yeah, yeah, could be too. True, true, true. Shirley, your comments about people um, in crowded spaces and so on uh, feeling um, lonely. I see the comments about this and have conversations sometimes with people, particularly at bike rallies. They go to a bike rally for the first time. They don't know anybody and they don't know how to break into the peop- the obvious groups of friends that are already there and so on. And I know some people who just don't go back to those rallies because they feel they don't fit. And there'd be some people who might be surprised at this, but I was an incredibly shy person. And I suppose in in many ways I still am. But for me, um, loneliness is a mixture of incredible um, sensation of vulnerability um, and an incapability to do anything about that. And it's almost as if you've got an invisible wall around you, which means that you just can't break through um, however hard you want to. And y- you get this sensation of being um, quite desperate. Um, and for me, I've learned how um, to deal with that instinct that would make me want to feel a bit like a wallflower. Um, and I never battle with loneliness now, but I know I've traveled with plenty who do. I have a friend who almost always travels on his own, and I think he does so because he hasn't got the patience to deal with other people's habits and quirks. But he really misses um, other people's company when he's on his own. And how he deals with it is that he makes sure at least once a week he spends a couple of nights on a traveler's campsite in a backpacker's hostel, that sort of thing. And he actively hunts those out because in part the company that he really craves, he can go and he can top himself up um, and then he can just go and, and be on his own again. And I think he actually quite enjoys the loneliness, but it doesn't stop that instinct in him that's making him crave um, company. It's almost like the loneliness gets too much and instead of it being a positive, it turns into a negative for him. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what what travel is supposed to do? Is is push you to go out and make new connections? Mm-hmm. I've got another friend who's so shy, almost didn't go traveling um, because he couldn't face the thoughts of being lonely in alien environments, in places where he didn't understand. And Shirley mentioned that just now, didn't you? Um, he dealt with that because he he spent hours staring at a mirror. And when he said that to me, what are you talking about? And he said, Sam, I had to teach myself to smile in such a way that I didn't look like a pervert. (laughs) Well, that's a handy tool for sure. (laughs) Sam, going going back to what you were saying about bike rallies, I think sometimes we who travel a lot and know a lot of people on the road can be... uh, Yeah, intimidating. We're chatting to people we know and sometimes we don't see the people that are on their own. And I think that is a failing. It's not just travellers. Everyone everyone does it. You can be standing in a pub with a bunch of people you know really well and not notice that there's someone two feet down the bar from you who's on their own who you could quite easily turn around and say, how are you going? Wow. Yeah. So I, and sometimes I think it's not even saying groups, something, is it? Yeah. It's, it's just, just a nod of a head and a smile. Yeah. Yep, acknowledging, and Surely, I think sometimes we have to be aware of that. That's beautiful. Surely, you you just like sort of turn the thing right around. Is instead of taking putting the onus on the the lonely person on everybody else. I mean, yeah, that's that's a great suggestion there. Um, really, what you're saying is, I mean, if you're out traveling or you're you're seeing people, go to your way to say hello. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
No, it's, uh, it's... I've got a great tip for those who want to go to a rally but are nervous about it, um, and about being lonely. The number one thing that I hear so often, it, it's just amazing, is volunteer. Those people who mm-hmm. um, have written me and said, you know, I volunteered and I volunteered because I knew I would meet people and get a chance to connect with people. And we see this all the time. People are brand new, never been to one of our events. They come, they volunteer, they get, they meet myself and Susan and other meeting organizers, and they get to be part of the crowd, part part of the group, the clique, if they will, which I really hate. But they're they're connected with everybody that's there immediately, and they make all kinds of new friends, and they get to meet her, meet and greet all the uh, people arriving. You know, like if. You volunteer to be one of the greeters at the gate. Fantastic. You meet everybody. And all of a sudden, you've got all kinds of new friends. So we hear all the time that the volunteers love it because they get to meet people and talk to people and make new friends. So first thing up, volunteer. I I saw that so many times at the UK um, Horizons 2 grant. Um, And somebody came to me at the end of one of the events, uh, one of the meets, and he said to me, Sam, I didn't know anybody when I started and uh, because I'd volunteered and yeah, he was on the gate and um, because I'd volunteered for the rest of, of the weekend, I had people coming up to me and asking me for directions and how things worked. And he said, if I hadn't volunteered, I would have been the person who was either having to ask those questions or I would have been sitting outside my tent watching people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to do it. And I think that goes not just for HQ events, but of course, but for any event where you are new and, you don't know anybody there, and especially if you're alone, yeah, volunteer. Although we have lots of couples that volunteer too. Uh, and that's a great way for them to kind of get into the crowd and see what's going on and, and meet people. So, yeah. I think also people confuse being alone and being lonely. They're, they're two very different things. And it comes back to what we've talked about many times. It's about your attitude. In this case, you can be alone and having a great time, or you can be lonely and having a terrible time. So I think it's important to embrace that you can be alone and have fun doing, guess what, whatever you want. You're not restricted. You don't have to ask somebody else for, well, what do you think, dear, or friend, or whatever. You just do what you feel like doing, and that's okay. So there's, there's a plus to it, and I think you have to look for the positives and not just say, oh, I'm alone, I'm lonely, um, and, that's mis- and I'm miserable. You know, find out what makes you tick, what makes you happy, what makes you um, enjoy yourself and have fun. So try and do something a little bit differently. So when, when we're lonely, we actually see the world, and this is a psychological thing, we see the world differently. Oh, we're yeah. more likely to see threats where we normally wouldn't. A friend of mine hates wild camping on his own because he says he sleeps really badly. He hears every tiny sound and is convinced it's a bear or a cougar stalking him. Right. Okay. Of course, I tell him it's probably just a skunk wandering around, but for some reason that doesn't seem to help. <laughs> yeah, it probably is a bear, but it's not after you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. He doesn't care. You don't smell like food. But but that's fear. And I think that's part of it, isn't it? With, with loneliness, it's, um, there's some fear in there, some orientation, you know, when you're not able to orientate yourself. It's one of the reasons I, I know I, I used to be in search and rescue. And I remember learning about the, um, 
the psychological aspect of being lost and, and what a person that's lost goes through and it's lack of orientation. I mean, it's, it's not that, that they're scared of necessarily being in a forest, for instance, it's that they don't, they're not able to orientate themselves. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's not necessarily where they are. It's how they're perceiving it. It is. And, we, and we've all mentioned, we've all said this, I think, as we're talking about this, it's how you think it's your mind that is, is sort of almost playing tricks on you. It's all about the perception. So um, what about other things to do? I mean, I think joining, that's, that's a great idea. I mean, offering, and you could do that with anything you could offer to help somebody on the side of the road and that would make a connection. And that's something that you know, travelers do all the time, right? I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a common thing we hear. I, I was thinking, like, what, what about going to um, something that maybe is more familiar to you? Like if you're in a country that you don't know very well, but you can find something like, dare I say it, a McDonald's or a Starbucks, if, if that's what you like, or if that's what makes you feel good and you, and you can find one in that country, maybe go there because maybe that familiarity will, will sort of you know, click with you. I think you can also take a tour, which is something we don't seem to, uh, I guess, adventure travelers don't seem to approve of tours, but why not? It's a great way to meet people and get out of your own head for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn something new and you learn something about the area, but mostly you meet people and you're connecting with people. And that's really important to get out of your own head for a while. Grant, I really agree with you on that. And one of the things that we tend to do when we come to a big city is to take um, the equivalent of an open bus stop tour um, so that we can orient ourselves in the big city. And But also, it's incredible how many people you meet, interesting people, just because you're on the same thing. And you've got something in common that you can talk about. And I think that that's one of the keys to dealing with loneliness, isn't it? And this is where, how many times have we all said about a motorcycle being a wonderful uh, icebreaker? Because there's always a, uh, it's, a, it's a topic of conversation between us and strangers. And it just happens all of the time, doesn't it? And once you realize that when you're traveling with a motorbike, um, it, it starts to open doors. Um, but that's something that happens without us having to make any real effort other than getting to where we are. Um, but it's, it's other things that we can do as individuals if we are feeling lovely that can start opening up doors for us. Yeah. Yeah. One totally agree. Thing, one thing, good thing you could do is break down. If you break down on a motorbike, someone <laughs> always stops to help you. But I'd be interested in Graham's point of view. He travels mm. a lot by himself. What do you reckon, Graham? Ah, uh, well, I don't. I, I suppose I experienced loneliness the worst when I was about nineteen years old and became a truck driver. And then I was a truck driver for seventeen years, a, a very solitary occupation, followed by being a handyman where I worked by myself followed by doing trips by myself, writing books, which is a very solitary thing, uh, living on my own. So if you don't enjoy your own company, and this is, I think, Grant was saying it earlier, the the difference between loneliness and being alone is not enjoying your own company. And uh, I'm very content in my own company, and I can put up with myself for a very long time. And, I mean, I deliberately have prolonged stays in deserts where there has been utter silence. And uh, and I love that. Yeah, I think if you come from a background where you habitually wake up in the morning and turn on the radio or turn on the TV, or you've got someone there and, and the, before your eyes have started open, there's someone on the pillow next to you and you start talking, that's followed by a, a, perhaps a commute on public transport and then maybe work in an office. So there's people around you all day, you go to the pub afterwards and then 
again, there's TV on, there's radio on in the evening, wife kiss, whatever. You've never had a moment on your own. It's, it, I think it might frighten people who have who've never considered what it's like to be silent, to have no one around them, to, to have to face their thoughts and be introspective. And uh, I do it all the time. I'm possibly too much, and I, I very much enjoy it. But if you've never had it, if you've never done it, it only occurs when you put on your helmet and pull out the driveway, then, of course, it's going to be a shock to the system. It's going to be a tough thing to deal with. I mean, I, I don't know what the background is of, of the person who sent in the question, but I think, like anything, you can probably wean yourself into a situation where you become more used to your own company. If you are what I just described, then try not having that visual audio stimulation from the radio and the TV. Try, I mean, I know everybody's sort of stares at their phones these days, but they're not alone. There's, they, they may not be communicating face-to-face, but they're still, on some level, there's communication. I think if you just let yourself be free of all that outside stimulation, all those people, you will learn to, have, to acknowledge your, uh, your own thoughts and, and, and get introspective and analyze and consider and, and appreciate the world around you without the constant distractions and, and appreciate what, what it's all about. It's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, but you just have to learn to find the good qualities in in being alone and there are wonderful qualities in it it's generally better than being with people <laughs> graham I, I i love what you've just been saying and i think you're absolutely right i really really enjoy traveling on my own um and Berg is in the next room and she can probably hear me say that because i love traveling with her too but it's, it's a different ball game being on my own it's it's just complete freedom to think what i want to think when i want to think it or when i'm inspired to think something or feel something but for people who are genuinely lonely it's 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 a learning curve isn't it it's it's finding some coping mechanisms that get them straight from the situation where they are feeling gosh, all of a sudden I don't have that TV. And even if they've been doing it for a, a month or two before they go, get rid of the TV, the radio, and, and spend more time on their own thinking and planning. It's still, when they're out on the road, still a very alien thing. And I think if people can learn some basic coping mechanisms and have a plan so that when they find themselves feeling lonely and stuck in that loneliness, they've got a series of things that they can do um, then that can actually help them through the zone so that when they they do get to the stage that you've just been describing where it is just fantastic and one of the most brilliant things about traveling on your own is it's the freedom does that make sense it does make sense but you know one of the things that um i'm not sure what um this fellow i presume is a fellow um is feeling but sometimes it's not having anyone to share it with at the end of the day mm-hmm. you can travel quite comfortably and explore and have you know have the the great ride and then at the end of the day when you're having dinner or a beer or whatever there's no one to say wasn't this part good or that part good i think that can make traveling alone very a, a very solitary experience. It's not so much the during the day when you're doing things, but it's at the end of the day when you'd like to share your experiences with people. And I know, Jim, you just um, mentioned very briefly traveling with others, but we've done that several times where we've met people through 
someone's connected to someone who sends you an email address and we've ended up traveling with people who've been traveling on their own and they've enjoyed having company and we've enjoyed traveling with them even if it's only for a week or two or a couple of days uh just maybe break the monotony have something different and have someone to share it with at the end of the day but you also mentioned about um you you can be lonely with other people around because i'm wondering if there's like sort of two different experiences here with loneliness. Maybe there's more, I don't know, but I, I always remember coming across a, a group, I think it was Outward Bound or something like this. And, and I found out that this program, they dumped some people off on an Island as, as I was paddling by with my group. They were on this, this solo quest for 24 hours. They have to go and they camp on, on an Island by themselves and they've got everything they need. They're not, they're not in need, not like they're hunting for their food or anything like that, but they're by themselves for the, for the 24 hours and it was really stressful for a lot of people. They, they found it very, very difficult to do. I mean, people would even cheat. If it wasn't an island, they would, they would sneak back to the camp to meet up with someone. That's sort of a different type of loneliness, I picture it anyway, than the type of loneliness you would get if you were traveling in another country. And maybe you're sitting in a cafe, you don't speak the language, there's people all around you. So there's people there, but you're still sort of alone. I guess maybe that's isolation, um, personal isolation. Mm. But I, I found when traveling, I would seek out places where other motorcyclists go. And nine times out of 10, and again, it's your attitude too about striking up a conversation, even about inane things. And then uh, you, you can get over that loneliness of that time when you're with others. But I, I like uh, Graham's description of. Um, the first time you're in a desert and you turn the motor off on your motorcycle and there is no sound, mm-hmm. nothing, no birds, nothing. And the, the, the sound of that is actually can scream in your ears. And um, I, I, I quite enjoy that um, to sit down and think when I've been under a fair bit of stress in my previous occupation, I, I'd quite often jump on the bike and find somewhere to sit and that some might, some people might see that as loneliness. I found it as time for reflection, time to get things in order in your own mind and to work it out. But then, as Cheryl said, you do need company sometimes. And can I just share with you, Brian is one of the great talkers to people he doesn't know. <laughs> oh, my God, I saw him in the Isle of Man. Exactly. <laughs> and can no, I tell no you? one. And they, they, there was another thing, you know, they were on an island. They couldn't bloody escape him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, did a, we did a trip with our eldest son, and at one stage he said to me, you know, Cheryl, why does Dad just talk to people all the time? I said, that's just him. He always talks to people. Three months later, we we're in, the South, in South America, and I sent Stephen an email and said, well, there you go. Your father's still talking to people he doesn't know and now he doesn't even understand their language. <laughs> <laughs> but you could do that. You could break it down like that. I, and I, I said it's maybe compartmentalising a little in your own mind how things how things want to be. Um, but, yeah, I've no problem. I, I remember sitting down with a, a Frenchman uh, discussing rugby and he could not speak a word of English and I couldn't speak a word of French, but, boy, gee, we had a good time. And even when Brian can speak English and the person he's speaking to is speaking English back at him, he still doesn't understand rugby. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wonder if part of loneliness is um, the ability to approach strangers. You know, if you find it difficult to approach strangers, you're probably more susceptible to loneliness than if you weren't. I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I think it's absolutely I I like the guy with the mirror. 
and smiling mm-hmm. so you don't look like you're some kind of lunatic stalker. I think that's I'm, really that's. I thought he was. I thought he was doing cocaine because that always makes you very gregarious. <laughs> <laughs> the mirror's horizontal with that, though. <laughs> One of the things that that guy also said to me was that he had taught himself to set himself goals for each day. So. Um, it might have been a place that he was aiming for. It was. It might have been a decision to wild camp. It might have been a decision that that day he was going to do his food shopping. Just basic things that when you get in a funk and you you stop being able to think straight because you're lonely, actually starts giving your day some some structure. And he said one of the things that he always gave himself a target for each day was find a reason to talk to at least four people today. Mm. And he specifically oh, went idea. out hunting for four reasons to talk, well, for reasons to talk to four people. And he said once he had that in his daily schedule and he'd set himself that, that target, things started to get easier and he started to teach himself how to deal with um, the loneliness. And it's, I mean, it's quite tiring traveling on your own, isn't it? When you have to do all of the thinking, the arranging, the dealing with the problems. And when there's a low moment and there's no one else there to help cheer you up. And Graham touched on that. And the other thing that Graham, I think, probably agree with um, particularly on this is one of the things that helped me when I was traveling on my own and had been doing it for months was I used to talk to my journal. Writing my oh, yeah. journal at the end of the day was a conversation. It was, I don't know if I actually physically talk, but I mean, it's, it's a time of introspection, reflection, processing, and then I write that down in my, in my diary, and of course I do thoughts, and, and uh, little epiphanies you have, which, you, which uh, come when you don't have the distractions of, of mundane conversation and, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for it, but it's like anything, it has to be learned. You have to learn to, uh, to do that. I remember... Uh, Spent up with a, a girlfriend and her sister had said to me, she said, you will die sad and lonely. That's like, no, you'll die like that because you don't like your own company. You don't like yourself. You surround yourself with your kids and your husband and everything else. But I am very happy in my own company. So if I do die alone, I will not die lonely. I'll die happy. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that needs to be said about that conversation, and I just don't want to be the one to say it. Of course, Shirley. I was just thinking you should have replied to her, and I'm going to be a damn side happy, and now I'm not with your sister. <laughs> oh, sure. that's, and that's probably that's inappropriate. Right. So, but you know, another thing is when I watch prison movies and someone gets thrown into solitary. When when they get taken out of solitary, I think, oh God. Communicate with other people now. <laughs> if I ever went to prison, it's like, give me solitary. And if they wouldn't, I'd have to do something bad to be given solitary. <laughs> but if you go back to, to what um, this fellow was writing, he says it reoccurs just about daily. And, and to me, that's that's a fundamental problem, you know, that you sort of have to figure out yourself and figure out why you're 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 getting those that, those feelings of, of loneliness. Before you can go and, and choose, you know, four people that you want to talk to or, or try and come up with solutions. Because I really think if you don't, you don't understand the problem, you can't really come up with a fix for it. I mean, someone suggested, you know, going to hostels and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't like hostels. I really I have a very strong dislike for them. But you could try that because it's um, almost impossible to, I mean, you're probably going to be in a dorm and sharing with people. So it's, it's, you are definitely going to be around people, whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, 
then perhaps you'll appreciate your own company a bit more once you're out of that hostel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can go along with that. Yeah, it could be too much. But I think we also have to keep in mind that there are some people that are just naturally extremely gregarious and need company. Um, well, maybe need is, is a question there that we need to deal with too. Maybe people just need other people and others, somebody named Graham I can think of, really don't need other people. And that's fine. Um, you have to decide whether you are a person who can figure out how to travel alone and not be lonely and enjoy it. Um, or maybe you're a person that really just can't and you need to find a buddy to travel with. Well, Everybody's I think different. it's, it's something that has to be worked out if it wants to be overcome. If, if his, ow, just take my elbow on the table, sorry. If his, if his answer uh, if to to loneliness is to we've gone through this a hundred times to stare at this phone in a restaurant, then company is never going to come his way, and no. I suspect that might be the case. He may be you know indulging in that to try and break his loneliness, staring at his phone, staring at his tablet, staring at his laptop, and that isn't going to relieve the loneliness. That is not going to make you approachable. I know we've gone over this time and time again, but that if that is what he's doing, that's never going to cure it ever. No, that's. As soon as you're on your phone or your tablet, people don't want to intrude, so they're not going to approach you. I think as a traveler, if you want to be not lonely or you're feeling lonely, you need to make uh, a step to go out and, and connect with people, whether it's talking to the guy in the Starbucks about a fancy drink or whatever it is, doesn't matter, um, asking for directions, just talking to anybody. You've got to make that step and do it yourself. That's, that's up to you to make that step. Spreading a map out on the table, something like that is going to attract. That's a great idea. Get yourself arrested. You meet all kinds of people. (laughs) 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 You don't end up in solitary. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things is that you can learn um, a series of questions that you can start off conversations with. Something that you feel comfortable asking and know that you've got a chance of getting um, an answer back. I've seen people sometimes who will say, um, is this the way to? And you'll get a yes or a no. Yeah, well, no good. You get a yes or a no, and that's it. It's a conversation. It's it's almost dead. And, and for somebody who's shy and lonely, getting that conversation to start, once they've made that big step to ask the question in the first place, it's, it's almost insurmountable to, to try and make the conversation carry on. But to ask a, a question such as, can you tell me um, if this, this is the right direction too, for example, or can you tell me if there's a camping site anywhere in this, this area, uh, whatever it might be. Just the sort of open questions that give a chance for a conversation to happen. That's a skill that can be learned for lonely people, can't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the open and, and closed question. In, yeah. Standing in some tourist area or in, in any town with a map open in front of you, just holding it up and kind of looking around kind of lost, somebody's going to come up and ask if they can help. No, someone's going to come up and, and say, what are you ask- doing with that map? Where's your phone? <laughs> that's fine that's a conversation started isn't it also a lot of people don't see maps of their own area they don't need them they live there they know their way so if you are in a small town or or village and you open up a map on the table people are going to be interested in it because they can look at locations oh that's my brother lives and you know that's where what and they'll they, they can then relate so it really is a map is a wonderful way of of getting company and starting conversation and as a bonus learning places that you may be interested in seeing 
Always. Yep. And always ask, where would you recommend that I go? Yep. As soon as you do that, people are just, they're off and running. There's always some place that they think is just wonderful and, and nobody else has ever heard of it, but they like it. So go check it out. But it, it starts the conversation I mean, rolling. What a wonderfully open question that is. It's good. <laughs> We're sort of assuming that the um, the loneliness feeling is from not having another person to talk to. But Shirley had mentioned, uh, or I think Brian had said, Shirley uh, had felt um, what he called homesick more. And, and I wonder if that's part of it as well. Because if you're traveling to another country, 10 to 1, you're going to be around people. You're not off on a canoeing expedition. You know, you're not uh, kayaking into the Arctic. That's that's loneliness. And I can understand you're, you're dealing with the fact that you are alone. And this is sort of what I was going to with, the, with uh, my story but the upward bound thing, um, the, the isolation, is this, is this about, um, about making a human connection for him or is it about not being around home and friends? I mean, are, is a stranger, you know, is sort of a, a superficial conversation with a stranger about the, the sweetness of the drink that you're getting, is that going to make the connection or do what it, uh, what it needs to do to overcome the feeling you're, you've got if you're missing family, friends, local areas? Well, that's a tough if question. You're, if you're stuck in a spiral, in a downward spiral of, of, of loneliness, then it will at least be a break from that. It will, it will break that thought train. So it might not be the company you crave, but it's a start. And um, any interaction will, will break that that concentration which you're, of, of how lonely you're feeling. Uh, so I, th- I think it's got to be a start, hasn't it? I, I remember, I, I touched on it a few times on, on my first book, In Search of Green Grass, and uh, <laughs> doing grants promotion here. By the time I think I got to Kazakhstan, I was looking for someone to ride with, and I went on the Horizons Unlimited site, and I said, you know, I'm here. I think I was in Astrachan in, in Russia, and I said, heading to Kazakhstan, I could go. I could go north, I could go south, I could speed up and slow down. Um, anybody heading that way? And it took a while. It took about took about three weeks. But um, I met up with some people. So uh, it, that's another way of, of dealing with it. If you are looking for company, Horizons Unlimited won't work for me. Yeah, Checking the communities is a fantastic yeah. way if you're traveling. Contact communities on the route you're heading and say, hey, I'd like to get together for a beer or whatever. Um, you know, maybe I can find out about where the good places are to ride. And they are delighted to have you. They want to hear stories from travelers and what you're doing and how you're going. It's, it's an invitation for a party. Let, let me flip this question around a little bit here. And, and maybe everybody can throw in their two cents worth. If um if someone was to come to you and say, hey, look, I'm the type of person that whenever I get away from my home, whenever I get away from the people that I, I'm used to being around, that I get this incredible lonely feeling and I, I can't seem to shake it by meeting strangers or whatever. Can I still be a traveler? Mm. Oh. <laughs> I think you can if you want to enough. And it, it all comes down to as we've talked so many times about your attitude, you have to decide, do I want to travel enough to deal with and work my way around the feelings of loneliness that I get? And and accept that you will feel lonely. That's normal. I mean, we'll all feel lonely at some point on a trip, especially you know if you're traveling alone. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have a good time, enjoy the travel, uh, and generally have a great trip. Yeah, sure, you felt a little lonely at various times, but you're human. That's okay. Just move on. 
Yeah, I mean, when when I was in my late 20s, I went and backpacked around India for six months on my own uh, because no one wanted to go, uh, no, everybody else had commitments, so I took myself off and I really didn't know what to expect and how it would work. And I think that was probably life-changing because I learned how to find the confidence to approach people. And again, this was before internet, before phones, before WhatsApp and Facebook, and uh, you would have no option but to... Uh, I mean, obviously, white faces stick out <laughs> quite a lot in India, so it's easy to see a traveller or another backpacker. And uh, and you and for me, it was definitely a, a time when I I had to approach people, and uh, we all got something in common. We're travelling, and we're in a strange country, and and friendships. I made friendships there, which now, what thirty years later, I've, I've, I've still got. So, uh, a wonderful experience, challenging and tough. But uh, definitely a, a, a growing experience and rewarding. Nobody goes out knowing at all, do they? And that's one of the reasons that we go travelling, isn't it? And people are just fantastic to be around mostly. And one of the things that I think is, you know, if you are naturally a shy person and you do get lonely as a result of that, perhaps replace the the feeling of negativity from, that you get from that with something that you can feel positive about. So, for example, um, if you are going to spend an awful lot of time on your own, spend more time focusing on enhancing your curiosity because that can turn into such positives, can't it? Just discovering things that you never knew existed. So it's it's a balance in the end of replacing one negative with a positive, perhaps. And also getting the knack, building up the knack of, of being able to talk to people you don't know. Yep. Start that at home. Go to not Don't go to your local pub. Go to the one in the next town and walk in and, and try and strike up a conversation with someone you've never seen before. And if you can do it, if you can do it in your own backyard, invariably you'll be able to do it in the next country as well. That's a good pushing idea. Your, um, pushing your comfort zone is something that always makes you sort of expand your abilities and your, and, and your comfort zone. It actually expands your comfort zone by pushing it, but you do have to do it with the right mindset, don't you? And I think everybody sort of said this long way. It keeps coming back up. It's one thing to go out there and, and try and approach people, but if you don't have the right mindset for it, if you don't have that right feeling, I think Sam, you just said something and I've lost it now. What you said, you, you have to, you have to approach it with the right frame of mind, with the, the desire to say, I, I want to overcome this. Yeah, that's critical. I think we've all mentioned that it's it's something that you have to work at. Um, and you can learn how much fun it can be talking to strangers. And I think for me, one of the keys was learning to stop being afraid of making a fool of myself. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. And if everybody laughs at me, okay, well, that's actually the ice broken. It's positive. It's not a negative. That's true. Yeah, and they don't know you. You're not going to bump into them again. It'll be okay. Exactly. <laughs> if it's that bad, just get on your bike and go to the next town. Make a fool of yourself doing something else. <laughs> With a whole new bunch of people. <laughs> I can't help but think that um, there was a mention of, uh, of, of phones. I think, uh, Graham, you mentioned something about uh, it was before phones is what you said. It was before phones and, and obviously social media and whatnot. And I was thinking – is social media making people lonely? They're so dependent on, on their phone and, and being on their phone that they're they're isolating themselves. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think phones uh, are, are like a barrier, an invisible barrier that you put up. As soon as you pick up your phone and you look at it, 
I've been at a table with guys I've been riding with, and as soon as we they get off the bikes and sit down at the table, they all pick up their phone, and look at, it, rather than talk to each other. Mm. It, it, it's like a barrier. Um, yeah, that's so, really sad too. Yeah, yeah, you see it all the time everywhere. They're on their phone. They're not. Or they're on their phone. They're looking, looking at uh, social media, interconnecting with the world. But are they really? And are they allowing themselves to take a moment? just to be in their own heads or are they so craving constant stimulation that they don't have an opportunity to improve their own ability to be alone and enjoy it mm. you're not you're not in the moment when you've got your phone in front of you no. you're in the moment somewhere else and that somewhere else is just not real because you're where you are and you might be sitting in a hostile in Colombia, for example, and you're surrounded by all the sounds and the sights and the smells and everything that makes up the experience of being in that point. But you're not there because your face is, is in your phone and your mind is back at, at home. And sometimes that'll make the loneliness worse because all you're seeing is what other people are doing and you're not there. Yeah, you're not having fun. Whereas you should be telling them about all the fun you're having. Because one thing you should always remember when you travel, when you get home, no one gives a toss about what you've done. <laughs> and the more stories you tell about, oh, remember when we were in, you know, Columbia or wherever, they're just going to look at you and go, oh, my God, will these people ever stop talking about that bloody trip? <laughs> Footy is much more important. <laughs> Too right. They don't care what you've done. Yeah, no. you're back. Nice. We missed you. Now, let's get on with our lives. You see the shutters come down, don't you? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never forgotten um, Ted Simon saying that when he got back from his four-year round-the-world trip and he was at a party, and a woman came up to him. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's close enough. And a woman came up to him and said, oh, oh, Ted Simon, I hear that you've just ridden a, a, a motorcycle around the world for four years. My husband and I have just been on holiday to Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. she was breaking the ice. With <laughs> oh, she tried. Yeah, yeah she uh, did. Yeah. Well, um, I think we got a lot, of, a lot of suggestions in there, a lot of ideas about loneliness, about dealing with it. Anyone? Um... Uh, sometimes maybe, Jim, you just have to knuckle down and say, I really feel lonely today, so I will ring home and talk to someone and get myself out of my blue funk, or I will now go and spend money I really can't afford to buy myself a decent meal to make myself feel better. Because mm. it's a natural thing to feel lonely. It's a natural thing to feel alone. It's natural to feel sad, homesick. Just as natural it is to feel exhilarated and happy and just knocked out by all the wonderful things you're doing and seeing. Wow, that's that's really well said. And I like the way you mm -hmm. you started it off. I thought you were going to say just knuckle down and and deal with it and, and suck it up, Buttercup. But you know, you you made the point of saying phone home or something, do something about it. Um, phone home, recognize the fact that you're you're lonely and uh, and do that. I don't know about the the daily thing though. I mean, it, it, I think if you experience it daily daily, I mean, you, you might want to dig down and and try and figure out what it is that you're you feel you're missing or or that um, is making you feel isolated. You probably won't feel it daily, though, because you're going to have good days on the road and you're going to have bad days on the road. Yeah. And, yeah, 
Yeah, he, he's saying that it recurs almost daily, though. I think that's the part. Yeah, that he's, not it. he's not uh, doing anything to get around it. He's just living it and keep on with it. And he's not really fighting it in any of the ways that we've been talking about. Maybe. So Except, and if you don't do something, it's all you're just going to be on a steady downward spiral. And it's going to be every day, if not all day, every day. Except that um, he got to a stage where obviously he had to do something. And that was why he emailed me. Yes. And the so conversation started, and I really respected him um, for, yeah. for doing that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the first step, he's, he's made yeah. the first step yeah. now, and if he listens to this and takes something from what we've said, maybe his next trip won't be as bad. Mm. Yeah. But you, you should always also be careful about ringing home. We were in um, Turkey, and it was MotoGP time, and I had oh. a girlfriend who has now been been my friend for about 25 years, um, and we always spend MotoGP day together. And um, so Brian said, oh, look, why don't you ring VB? You'll feel so much better. And she was at Phillip Island, and we had a great conversation, and I got off the phone and burst into tears in the middle of the cafe that had the phone that we were using because no one had mobile phones in those days. And he just looked at me, and he said, what a great idea that was. <laughs> you have gone from reasonably happy person who's thinking about the MotoGP to a blubbering mess and all these people in Turkey are looking at us it's wondering what have you done to that woman to make her cry. <laughs> yep. Well, let's take a break here. And then afterwards, I want to talk a little bit about concentration. If you guys can concentrate on that for a minute. But meanwhile, this episode is supported by our friends at Fresh Tracks. And uh, Fresh Tracks has been around um, since the 90s. Um, interesting uh, uh, thing, story about Fresh Tracks is um, he, they started out doing 4 by 4 training. Uh, I guess he got into, the owner, um, he got into uh, doing something to do with Land Rovers, I think it was. And uh, that sort of went into him setting up this course and, and teaching people how to drive them off-road and how to build the skills. And then that eventually morphed into doing team building. Then team building sort of moved on from there and, and became something even bigger. And of course, now this company, freshtracks.co.uk, works with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief. So some big companies. So if you've got a company and, you, and you're looking, and particularly in these times, I think when we're, we're dealing with more people working from home, the dynamic of the, the company has changed. I mean, all of us have had an experience here of, of our lives changing and seeing the things change around us. And I think we've got to come up with new ways to deal with things. We have to come up with new ways to deal with the people who work for us or the people that work with us. And um, Fresh Tracks would be the, the place to, to go to get some help with that, freshtracks.co.uk. Now, they do have something specific for adventure motorcyclists because Dan is uh, the owner is uh, an avid motorcyclist. He loves adventure motorcycling. So what he's done is he set up this area on his main campus. He's located outside of London in the UK and he set up this area where you can go to, to try out your gear, um, maybe just relax for a weekend, but basically you can camp, you can set up a base camp and ride from there. There's a bunch of, uh, of uh, green lanes, which is uh, dirt roads to ride in the area and there's even accommodations if you wanted accommodations, if you didn't want to camp, but, but sort of a great place right close to London. So if you're in the UK, check out Fresh Tracks. Now I'm going to give you the website, the address for this in particular, which is called Adventure Space, is freshtracks.co.uk forward slash Adventure Space. So you just think freshtracks.co.uk forward slash 
adventure space and that's the space for adventure so check it out if you're interested in, in trying out your gear looking to get away maybe for a couple of days and find a, a place to to camp or set up a base camp and head out from there and of course mention that you heard about uh, the adventure space at fresh tracks on adventure rider radio raw so thank you very much fresh tracks for supporting us here at raw we really appreciate that Sorry. anyway so we, uh, a fellow named richard meal wrote in with a question. The question is, as long distance riders, what do you do or what approach have you developed to maintain your concentration while riding? Now, the background here for this, he says, as a tour and ADV rider riding a BMW K100 or Royal Enfield Himalayan, he says, I always struggle to maintain concentration after an hour or so of riding and have tried various techniques to remain, quote unquote, in the zone. Nothing seems to work for him. So he's, he's wanting uh, some, or hoping to get some information on how to, how to find that mental nirvana, his words, that he's seeking. And more importantly, how does he stay there? Now, I don't know about you guys, but the, the mental nirvana thing, that really jumps out at me in this question. Because I'm thinking, is that what riding is about? Is that what you guys expect? Mental nirvana? I mean, there's all kinds of emotions that all kinds of thoughts that go through your head as you, as you ride, but particularly when you're riding a long distance. I mean, Brian, you mentioned these, these rides you do, and I know you do it a, a fair bit, long rides, this 800 kilometers for your meetings. What goes through your head? Yeah, look, I, when I looked at that question, I thought, well, to me, getting in the zone is riding really, really well. Uh, apexing every corner, being in the right gear as you're approaching corners, all that sort of stuff, and keeping your mind on that. And I find that easy to do when you're on, let's say, more challenging on motorcycle-type roads and driving down an interstate freeway. I find that extremely boring and hard to concentrate. And I think you have to really start thinking about things um, when you're on those sorts of roads. And I think about, well, what's that stupid driver going to do and try and kill me with next? Or um, am I in the right position as I'm overtaking this car? That sort of stuff, but it, and it's it's something you've got to keep keep on all the time. And um, I, I find my danger zone is about every two hours. I mean, when you're on those boring roads, you get to the point where I probably need to stop. I need to go for a walk. I need to make sure I am ready for the next part of the ride in my own head, so you don't lose concentration. But uh, you know. I used to ride a lot um, after Friday night. I'd knock off and then ride 350 miles. Uh, the end of that ride would be in the dark. And I used to do this particular ride reg- very regularly, at least once a fortnight. And I can remember being very tired. And I, I reckon I had micro sleeps where you can't remember going around that mm. corner back there. Yeah, I mean that's that's the real danger zone. I, I don't know if that's micro sleep. So that that might be just um, your brain is you're you're thinking about something else because because I get that too where it'll be a fair distance. You know, I might even make turns in there and everything, and I'll think I you know I do not remember that intersection at all. But but I don't think I'm sleeping. Yeah. I hope well, not. <laughs> There's a certain level. Well, of sleep you're where certainly you not concentrating. Not concentrating to the level that you need to concentrate at. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what Richard's coming to, um, where you're getting to that point where, oh God, did I do that? Should I have done that? What did I just do? 
Um, yeah, that's that's a really hard point to be. But, you know, you train yourself to that point. I've used a couple of methods. Um, uh, and nowadays it's a little easier um, with music. You can put play in your, in your helmet if you want to do that. Or uh, in the old days, it would be just singing out loud and very badly in your helmet to try and <laughs> keep your concentration going. I, I presume there's a few of you still do that. Yep. Grant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think it comes to a little different than just kind of your mind just kind of wandering off. Um, what I find is that it comes down to your body physically being tired, sleepy, whatever. and Hydration to me is is huge on the list. Like constantly drinking, I drink as often as I possibly can. I'm even thinking of modifying my helmet so I can run a hose to the inside, so that I just need to reach over and you know grab a grab a little nipple and and suck a little water down, like the racers do. It, I think that's a great idea, and I'm looking seriously at it right now. Um, also, earplugs. Earplugs, the noise of the road is incredibly tiring and it's droning and it's a way that puts you to sleep. It's mm. that steady noise that tries to put you to sleep. And of course, it is tiring. Um, you need protein. You need a hang little on, bit of- hang on. I think you just hit something there, Grant. That's really important. And, and that could be Richard's problem. Uh, that that sounds do fatigue and you don't realize it unless you really think about what's going on with that. I remember having a helmet that would vibrate a little bit with my um, the wind deflector I had on this bike. And it was just at certain speeds, it would rattle. And it wasn't enough to... It didn't really distract me, I didn't think. And it was just sort of mildly, very mildly annoying. But what I found myself was I felt really tense after mm-hmm. a long ride. And I, I that's what I ended up figuring out. I realized what it was. And, and when I fixed that by by eliminating the, the windscreen issue, um, done. It was gone. Yeah, much less tiring, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, that's and a really good point. people have gone from no earplugs to start wearing earplugs suddenly realized, oh, I'm less tired after a day's ride. Yeah. Yeah, it's the noise. Your your brain has to work really hard to filter that noise. Um, my mother is now finally at ninety eight, getting having to wear ear, ear um, hearing aids. And one of the things that we learned in the process was that your brain actually processes the strange noises, the the little noises in the background, and learns to ignore it. But as your hearing goes, you don't hear those anymore. And then you get a hearing aid and all of a sudden you hear them again and everything's really noisy and there's noise everywhere. And they say that one of the things you have to do is wear the hearing aids all the time so that you can get used to those noises again and your brain can say, oh, I don't need to pay any attention to that. And your brain learns to ignore it. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So with with earplugs on, on the road, we're hearing all this noise that we aren't actually, despite how much we ride, that we aren't really used to it. And our brain hasn't figured out how to turn it out yet. So your brain's working overtime trying. Yeah. So that's really tiring. And, and to continue along on that thread, um, the other one could be physical. You know, are, are, is your bike vibrating heavily? Are you dealing with vibrations? Are you dealing with having to um, to sort of handle the bike in a rough way to, to combat wind, uh, wind buffeting? Yeah, well, I, I was also going to talk about ergonomics that goes with that. Sure. Does the bike actually fit you and work well? Um, I teach an ergonomics class whenever I do an event. And it amazes me how badly bikes are set up. And like I remember this guy got a brand spanking new Ducati, 
Uh, I can never remember the name of the model, but the one that's the adventure touring Ducati. And we were talking about gear shift position. And he said, my gear shift position isn't where he says it should be. Well, let's, let's have a look. So we had a look at his bike. The thing was three inches low. He had to literally twist his butt, push his knee all the way forward in order to get his foot underneath the gear shift lever to shift up. It was ridiculous. It was so far off. It was a joke. But that's the way it came. And he'd been riding the bike for six months and dealing with it that entire time. And it never occurred to him to fix it because he didn't know you could or should. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, get, get that bike fitting. It makes a huge difference. So... That's, I think that's something that's really important is make the bike work for you. And if there's something that's bothering you, yeah, vibration, something, whatever, fix it. You know, that little rattle in the helmet because of your windscreen, whatever, fix it. Don't just put up with it. It's tiring. Yeah, we, we've done some episodes on on ergonomics. Of course, we had you on, yeah. Grant, I, I know that, um, on Adventure Rider Radio. So you can always go to uh, the Adventure Rider Radio website and search for ergonomics. And you'll come up with, uh, I think, a couple of episodes we, we did, uh, I think, with you, Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about it quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal, and people don't realize just how badly their bike's set up until you start pointing it out. I always find it, I, I chuckle quietly when I see people pulling out the tools and starting to adjust things, and everybody has something to adjust on their bike. I've never seen a bike yet that was perfectly set up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, get to it. I'm sitting here smiling a little bit because the things that you're talking about are all things that I put down. Because uh, I, I made the assumption that I'm riding a bike that I like being on and I'm wearing the right gear and I've got a quiet helmet, I've got a comfortable saddle and I'm comfortable moving on it. But it is, uh, a lot of it, I think it comes down to having the basics set up, doesn't it? And Grant, you mm-hmm. mentioned drinking plenty of fluid. Yep. It's also sleeping well. It's cutting down on alcohol the night before a ride. And if you can, it's choosing the right time of day, the heat, the brightness, the traffic levels to ride at, if you've got a choice and the option to choose those things. But, I mean, Richard, hello, Richard, by the way. Um, Richard mentioned, um, you know, he can go for about an hour or so and then he starts losing the plot. Well, whenever I feel that way, then I just get off the bike. I'll walk mm-hmm. around for a few moments because that limbers up the body and the brain. And it means that when I climb back on the bike, I can go for another hour, maybe two, just because I've got off the bike. But I think well, when we when you were talking about um, crash helmets and earplugs and so on, somebody described that to me as when you've got a badly fitting um, helmet or cheap helmet, noise-wise, not good enough earplugs, then you're burning mental calories. And that does no good to anybody. I kind of like that, burning mental calories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think when you're actually riding... It's it's a key for, for me. It's a key point of, of looking at things, but really looking at things, not just glancing. I mean, obviously, if the traffic's hectic, then you don't have so much time. Um, but instead of looking at a car, I'll look at the car and the driver, which is good awareness training anyway, because that helps you judge what the person's going to be doing. But I'm also sitting on the bike, and I'm specifically doing things like listening to the bike, the noises that it's making. Is it enjoying the ride too? And usually it is because I'm set up right, and so that's a nice positive thing, and it helps keep me awake. But also, I really like being inside my helmet bubble because it is great thinking time. And instead of just thinking for a couple of moments about this and a couple of moments about that, I've encouraged myself to have um, 
mental conversations it's not exactly the right thing but you probably get what i mean start off thinking about a topic and really follow that topic through perhaps further than you would do in ordinary circumstances because you're there on your bike um you're in your helmet zone and all sorts of things get explored inside my helmet that i never would do um normally and yeah as grant says uh, brian says i also sing um, and I also listen to music. And guess what? I listen to Adventure Rider Radio Raw nowadays. I was just going to say, nobody's mentioned they should be listening to a podcast if you're getting well, bored. Well, they should, shouldn't they? I mean, Adventure Rider Radio is definitely there. <laughs> but you know the thing is, you, you, you've mentioned about taking a break. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? I mean, if you're getting tired, instead of pushing yourself to keep going, take a break. It's time to take a break. Get off. And if it isn't every hour... Who cares? I'm, I'm trying to think. Somebody else was telling me they, they, they ride only for an hour and they have to take a break all the time. That's just the way it works for them. You know, they end up having to get off and, and take a break. Not staying in the zone, though, because Sam, you mentioned about going off and thinking about other things. That's not really being in the zone. That's sort of what Brian and I were talking about, you know, driving along and thinking, <laughs> did I just have a, a micro sleep uh, or have I been operating on, on autopilot, which I, I don't necessarily think is is, is a, a bad thing. There's a lot of things that we do with muscle memory, shifting, um, throttle, and, and there's a lot that you do when you, when you first, we all remember what it was like to first ride and how confusing and stressful it was to first ride. And, and that could be another thing as well. When you, when you learn to ride and when you're new at it, the whole thing seems stressful and it does wear you down. Stress, mental stress is physical and it takes energy from you. And when you're dealing with with concentrating and having to think out every little thing, am I hitting the corner right? Is my speed right? What is that car doing? Then that's more stress than if you're very used to riding and you do a lot of those things automatically. Your, your brain is doing those while you can do what Sam does, obviously, because of, of the, the distance that you've ridden, that you can think about other things while you ride and still ride safely. I mean, that's part of it, though, isn't it? It's getting into the zone. It's being so comfortable with what you're doing, the machine that you've got. It's it's the it's the duo thing. It's the teamwork that just allows you to to meander into those corners exactly right and to feel mm-hmm. completely at home with what you're doing, which allows you. I mean, yeah, but you mentioned autopilot. Um, it's it's being at one with your bike and with the world, which allows you the time to be thinking about other things, which help keep you awake. Um, and comfortable moving, but I mean everybody's different. Well, I, yeah. and there's there's times where you know I, I mean <laughs> sometimes you you just get a long open boring stretch, which is kind of tough to deal with whether you're riding a bike or or whether you're you're in a vehicle. It's just difficult. I, I can remember crossing the the prairies here in Canada, and um, it was just so boring. I mean, there's just there's nothing to look at. The road is straight. There's no traffic around. It was pretty difficult to stay motivated, you know, to, you're almost looking for excuses to stop. I kind of get the feeling that perhaps that's the sort of riding that Richard's talking about, because when you're in the world of twisties and bends and, and climbs and drops and all the rest of it, well, of course, you're, you're fully focused on oh, what yeah. you're doing, aren't you? Yeah, you have um, to be. And, yeah, too right. And it's part of the buzz, isn't it? Yeah, we were talking about taking a rest stop. Being able to- um, I've, got, I've got one where you, um, on big, long, straight stretches of road, but I don't know whether you should try it that often. I used to try and uh, between the white lines, zigzag between the white lines at 100 kilometres an hour, see how you go. And when you get up to about 120, it's every second white line. But um, don't try it too often. 
<laughs> Sounds like a plan. In the United States, you'd get arrested for stunt riding. Yeah, I was just yes. going to say that, that that could really get you into some trouble, and, and not just from a problem with your bike or your, your control. It's, uh, that's something that will yeah. certainly attract attention. Yeah, well, going back to what I was going to say earlier, um, talk, taking rest stops, I find people, I've been on rides with people, and people get off their bike, and they go in and they get a soft drink and a chocolate bar. And that's the worst that you can possibly do. You need water, hydration, not sugar. Sugar gives you a high that gets you going for about 15 minutes, and then it drops you to lower than you were before. You need protein. You need nuts, meat, whatever. Protein is what keeps you going long term. It feeds you steadily. So I use good old GORP, which everybody knows, good old reliable peanuts, and a little bit of sugar in there. I toss in M&Ms in and peanuts, cashews, almonds, whatever you like. That's protein that you can eat quickly at any time, just a couple of handfuls, and it'll keep you going for a long time. Sugar, chocolate bars, soft drinks, the worst. It's just terrible stuff. And the other thing people do is they get their stuff, and then they stand around, walk, move, keep going. Yep change position, do a little bit of stretching, bend over, pick something up off the ground, you know, move your body. Your body's desperate to move, but you're feeling tired, so you don't. And that's the, that's the time when you need to the most. Get some Absolutely. movement, get some protein in you. Yep. And the other Beef one jerky, peanuts yep. and raisins, they always work really well, yep. don't you? But what you're saying about moving, uh, it just hits the nail on the head. Absolutely. And if you feel stiff when you're moving, um, then that's exactly the time when you should be moving. Yeah. Squatting, as you say, that sort of thing. Yep. All that good stuff. And the other thing that I find that, that really is important to me is making sure that I got fresh air at all times. Um, anytime I close up a helmet that's got poor ventilation, I, I find myself starting to nod off and go to sleep. I'm just not getting enough fresh air. You know, you're getting poor air in there that you already breathed 27 times. Um, so crack the face shield open, get a little bit of fresh going. Make sure if you've got vents, make sure that they're blowing over your face all the time. If you don't feel a little bit of fresh air on your face, you're not getting enough. So that makes a big difference, I think. And one of the other ones is I've, I've seen people put um, cortical in their um, camelbacks and things like that. No, no, no. No, I just use water. Just drink yeah. water and drink plenty of water. Um, yep. That's that's a good way to make yourself keep hydrated, particularly in hot weather. Yeah. Particularly you know, when you're sweating. You don't you don't feel it, but you are sweating and, and losing a lot of hydration. Even just the wind going past your skin. I mean, as much as you, you get uh, through your clothing, that evaporates uh, water from your body as well. Caffeine is oh, good. Yeah. Caffeine is good for keeping you awake. Yep. But some of us don't drink, don't like caffeine, so yeah. I, I avoid it. I just do water. Um, but I, for water, I've had people say, well, well, how much water? Well, in six hours of riding, I go through three liters of water So there's, on a hot day. So there's, there's a number that you can sort of think about. And, and I know most people don't drink anything remotely close to that, and they're dehydrated all day long, which drags you down. You That's about the same consumption of Sam's bike for oil, isn't it? <laughs> that's cool send yourself um, virtually chastised for that one Jim no, 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 next that time was, your bike visits that was, that was Graham's KLR on his trip back oh, to Bulgaria right. wasn't it <laughs> that's true 
So keep your body fed and keep your body working um, in ways that make it easier for you to stay awake. I mean, you've, you've got your body, you've got the bike to distract you, and you've got um, boredom to distract you and make you go to sleep. So take care of your body. Keep your eyes moving. Keep, keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, one of the things I always do is look close, far, close, far, close, far, left, right, left, right, mm-hmm. and just keep my eyes moving around to keep the brain stimulated. And that's, uh, that helps. Yeah. And I'd like to throw in here that you never, ever want to push yourself to stay on the bike if you're falling asleep. I mean, obviously, I mean, that, yeah. that's just a given. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's time to get off and, and find ways to jump around. It, no matter what it takes, it's, it's not worth it, obviously. Um, a friend of mine was telling me a story last week. Um, he, he'd been hiking in the mountains in Wales. And um, yeah, two days of, of fairly strenuous hiking. And he treated himself to a pub lunch when he finished. No beer. But he made it... Um, I suppose he must have been riding for about 45 minutes and he suddenly felt really, really tired. Well, he's the sort of guy that always carries his thermorest and a little ground sheet and um, a space blanket with him. And he's always on his bike and uh, he just pulled off by the side of the road. He found a grassy verge and uh, out went his thermorest, climbed into his, um, his space blanket, fast asleep. Next thing he knows, about 20 minutes later, um, there's a little old lady tapping him on the shoulder. Are you all right, dear? Yeah, yeah, I'm just having a sleep. Thank you very much. The next time he woke up was because there was a sound of a car running. And uh, it's about 10 minutes later. And he looked down, there's a woman in a, um, in a mini. And she's on her telephone. And she can, he's, he's lip reading her, reading out his license um, number. And the next thing he knows is the police are chasing him down the road. She's reported that he's drunk riding. Just because he pulled over and had a sleep by the side of the road. Wow. Yeah. We travelled with an American um, twice, Yeah, Dave Hand, and um, he would say, come on, can we pull over? And he would lie down on the side of the road. I've never seen anyone do it. He would keep all his gear on and just shut his eyes and sleep for 10 minutes and get up and say, okay, fine, I'm good now, let's go. Seriously? Your helmet's (laughs) a really good pillow. Always oh. keep that in mind. You, you got to be comfortable. I mean, if you're oh, yeah. if you're going to pull over and rest, you, you got to be comfortable. Or you got to get out and do exercise, like we said, walk around or or whatever. It's funny, you know. I I can remember this wasn't motorcycle related. This is driving a van along a long, boring stretch of road, and I I started to get that feeling that we're talking about that that thing where you're falling asleep and you I I think I've got to pull over somewhere. So I find a little rest stop. I pull over. And I fall asleep, crammed up in the driver's seat instead of getting out and walking around, which I, I knew I should have done, but I felt too tired to do it. So I thought I'll have a snooze. So I had my snooze in, you know, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes or something like that. And when I woke up, there was other people there. I opened the door of the van, I stepped out and I collapsed to the pavement because I'd slept in a way that my legs went to sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I'm holding That's on. That's what you the, call an entry, Jim. <laughs> here I'm holding on to the handle, the door and the, and the, the side of the seat. And I'm trying to pull myself up and look nonchalant at the same time <laughs> to get the feeling back in my legs. It was it was quite the embarrassing scene. <laughs> I don't know how Nick Sanders does things like he'll ride, I don't know, 700 miles and then he'll sleep on the back of his motorcycle for two or three hours and then he'll ride for another 700 miles. I, t- I, I just don't understand how you can do that. You, you know, we had Nick on the show before. We've had him on a couple of times. And, and that's some of the questions I asked him was about long distance riding. But I think some of what Nick does 
is is one of those 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 freaks of nature. You know what I mean? Like he has an ability to do it. Yes, he's worked on it to make it even better for him so that he can stay on, he can stay awake and and concentrate for longer periods. But I think part of it is is Nick. You know, that that's just the way he is. I mean, you, you hear these people sometimes who um who don't need much sleep. You know, they'll sleep like 3 or 4 hours. They can't sleep any more than that and it it runs mm-hmm. in the family. It's in the genes, you know? So I think sometimes you find somebody like that rather than trying to find, you know, what that real secret is. There are some, but I think some of it is, is just Nick, you know, that's just the way he was lucky enough to have, have his body made. Uh, There's another fellow that we had on that uh, was riding long distance as well. And he did all kinds of things to try and keep himself awake, et cetera. But boy, you're really pushing the envelope. I think when you're, when you're trying to find ways to stay awake, you know, when you're, when you're trying to find ways, not, not just to stay awake, but to force yourself to stay on that bike. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I've mentioned before about riding, um, in Australia and heading into the outback past Mount Isa and long straight road, just undulating, stinking hot. Cause I paid attention to it, all of the advice, you know, don't ride first thing in the morning and don't ride last thing in the afternoon because of the kangaroos. And so unusually, there I was, riding sort of mid-morning and through the middle of the day. And it was so hot, and I just wasn't used to it. And because it was a straight road, and I fell asleep. Um, and when I first started thinking, oh, I'm feeling a bit sleepy, I should have stopped. Yeah. But I made the mistake of carry on thinking, I'll ride a bit further because then I'll see a tree that I can I can get in the shade under. Nah, I should have made my own shade by the side of the bike and gone to sleep straight away. So when you woke up, were, were you still on track? Are you going in the right direction? No, I wasn't. Um, I woke up just before uh, leaving the road. I mean, I must have been only asleep for a few seconds. But having said that, I That's didn't recognize where I was. Um, so I could have been asleep for a while. Yeah, It's all it takes, isn't it? Just a few seconds and you're and yep. that's it. Yeah. yeah. My guardian angel was with me. That's why I keep saying, like, particularly with the motorcycle, I mean, I, I, we all know this. Anyone who rides knows this, but I, I just feel it's worth saying and, and reiterating uh, that um, you, you just can't take a, a chance on a bike. There There is no safety margin at all. Yep. Mental nirvana. I mean, how do you stay in the zone, Graham? Oh, well done, um, really. <laughs> um, quite often, you know, a car I'll be following, I notice it in my mirrors. So I don't remember overtaking that at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I drove a truck for 17 years, as I said earlier, and uh, there is a state um, where I, I think you're safe. I must have been safe because I didn't have accidents. I always, you know, I worked nights for seven years. I know when I'm falling asleep, and I've never fallen asleep at the wheel, there are ways to stop and uh, yourself doing it. And um, so I think I do, to de- a degree, have an autopilot and, uh, and a, 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 a degree of concentration. But, you know, like I say, if I'm riding fast, riding hard on twisty roads, that concentration has got maybe a 15-minute, 20-minute maximum, and then I have to slow it down. I can't ride like that for any longer. But I can ride for hours on non-challenging roads uh, with a, enough awareness to be safe. If not being, uh, you know, I'm not going to win any races, but plod along, okay. 
I think that's what I, I like about dirt riding. You know, you, you get on a, a trail that's that's technical and um, you have to really pay attention. And that's what it is. It's like a full-on, full concentration, not only concentration mentally, but physical as well. And that's obviously very stimulating. Most people would not have a problem staying awake, but um, it's a neat feeling. Mm-hmm. I love it. I just had eight days straight of that. It's just wonderful. Constantly on, constantly focused, constantly yeah. moving. It's just great. Oh, I love that. But too. what's keeping you awake and in the zone, to quote Richard, is the fact that you've got this constant flow of challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes, like we said, you you can't find them if you're on this long, open stretch of road. And that's just life. I mean, like I say, sometimes you'll have to stop. The moral of this story in that case is, don't go on the freeway. Yeah, (laughs) amen to that. Well, there's a, there's a, that's a good point, Sam, right there. I mean, it may take a lot longer, but it might be worthwhile to head off on a side road and get lost for a while and then head back, you know? Mm. I like it. Anyone else? Uh, well, actually, on- a couple other thoughts that I had um, about while you're traveling, you should have a, make sure you've already worked out a plan. So you're not trying to figure out where you're going, what your next turn is and all that. Have it all figured out in advance. Because if you're trying to figure out where you're going while you're riding, you distract your, your little monkey brain keeps churning and working and you're not able to focus on what you want to be focusing on. Because you're always trying to figure out, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's the next situation i got to deal with? So removing potential distractions is a big issue. And then even off the bike, there's things you can do. Meditation. It improves your powers of concentration. So try to check that out. Uh, do brain games. Scrabble, Sudokos. Susan and I play Scrabble all the time on the, on the phone. Uh, 15 minutes a day of brain games is very good for improving our ability to concentrate, which sadly some of us know as you get older, it gets harder. But with brain training, you can actually improve your ability to concentrate and not lose it as you get older. They even say it's time to try video games. Apparently they improve your ability to focus. Hey, Seriously, no, 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 hang on. That Seriously. had to come, like that research came from a video game company. <laughs> so I don't know. No, I, I, I was likened riding in India as if I'm playing Space Invaders, but live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you only get one man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, try going to sleep riding in India. <laughs> That's not going to go <laughs> no, well. Not, not, happen. not even close. <laughs> that only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> So just a couple other different thoughts, a way to come at it from a different point of view. I think it, it, it all comes together and it all matters, you know, keeping your brain working, keeping your body working and healthy and just paying attention, focusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Sam, you mentioned that, um, I, I think you told a story there about a, a friend who had had a meal or something like that and, and felt really deeply tired afterwards. That's one of the things that does tire you down. Your, your body, when you eat a big meal, your body tends to shut down everything to try and work on digestion. So you want to be aware of that. If you're going to eat a big meal and head out for a ride, that's probably not the best thing to do because your body's really going to be starved for energy at that point. That, and and that you know, the crazy you. thing was he knew that what he was doing was a stupid thing to do. But after two <laughs> days of hiking in the Welsh mountains, seeing other people eating their Sunday roasts in this pub garden, um, yeah, common sense um, mm. went down the road with the traffic and yeah, he paid the price for it, didn't he? Yeah. I was going to say, I remember um, this is just brought up an old memory from, oh, this is a long, long, long time ago, 60, 70, something like that. 
there was a spate of accidents in on a, a straight stretch of road in the U.S., and they couldn't figure out, well, how come it's a straight road? There's no problem. Why should why are people having these accidents all the time? And they finally worked it back about an hour to two hours up the road was a shop, or sorry, a um, restaurant. People were stopping, having a big meal, at night especially, yeah. and then they'd drive an hour or two wow. and fall asleep and drive off the road. Wow. So they started putting up signs about that, and they put some curves in the road to just change things up a bit, keep people awake. But yeah, there you are. An hour, two hours after a big meal, you're done. You're going to go to sleep. You just made me think about uh, riding the um, the road up through the Atacama Desert in Chile. Oh, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> they specifically put bends in that road because yeah, most of it is straight, isn't it? Yeah. They specifically yeah, put yeah. some bends in to try and keep people awake. Yep. Never forgotten all of those little memorials by the sides of the roads where people had fallen asleep. Yeah. Yeah, on straight stretches. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we were cruising across the Nullarbor and there's a the, yeah, 90 mile straight there that a lot of people do run off the road on. And mm -hmm. uh, remember, sure, we were cruising across there and, you know, just sort of up the speed a bit to, to keep things a little bit interesting. And I looked in my mirrors and I've got two mates who had blackbirds and um, I moved to the middle of the road and they went either side of me doing – Factor 16, it. and Cheryl had no idea they were coming, and they nearly sucked the panniers off, didn't they, Cheryl? They kept us awake. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Haven't well, heard that uh, phrase before. Yeah, sitting at around about 170, and they went past me like I was standing still, I think. <laughs> well, let's move into plugs, shall we? Shirley, what do you have? Um... Nothing really. Actually, I have some news, but which is of no interest to anyone outside of people who live near us. But um, the local paper's main story today is a young fella. Well, he's forty, so everything's relative. From Bendigo, which is the nearest um, regional, large regional town to where we live in Victoria, is going to be competing in the Dakard in January. So that's pretty wow. cool. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic! And he, he's with a Swiss-based team. Nomads. Um, yeah. the, is it Nomad? Yeah, Nomad Racing. Is the Dakar running? Like, it's going to go for sure? It is at this stage. Um, he says that um, if it doesn't run in January, his uh, entry will go to the 2022. But at this stage, uh, it will be starting on the 3rd of January. And his name is Michael Burgess. So um, we wish Michael all the best because the Dakar – is one of our favourite races every year. Uh, we just love um, our, one of our local television stations shows highlights every night. So at six o'clock, it's grab a beer and sit down and watch half an hour of Dakar. We love it. So mm -hmm. good luck, Michael Burgess from Bendigo. How about you, Brian? I've got nothing to add to that. That was uh, what I was going to use, but uh, yeah, I, I think. Um, Sorry, I'm the one that read sure. the paper and found the story. And he was going to use it for the play. Yeah, paper? What do you mean? You, you guys still get a newspaper? I read it no. online, but oh, yes, we say. get um, we get uh, weekend papers, and I get the local paper. I get the two local papers as real papers. Oh, Bendigo's wow. not classed as the local paper because it's thirty kilometres away. I didn't know they they still made those things anymore. Yep. Oh those yeah. Papers, well, look, so. I, I'd like to give a shout out to all my mates in um, Melbourne, Victoria, who are really struggling with this corona lockdown. Melbourne has been in uh, lockdown for 
longer weeks. than any other city in the world. Six weeks where you can't travel more than five kilometres outside of your house, where you can only go out of your house for one hour a day, um, and only one person can go to the supermarket or the shops. Uh, it's been really difficult, particularly for my mates who ride motorcycles and like to get out and about. So I've been posting a lot of photos of me riding my bike. <laughs> Wait a sec, you think that helps them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been getting That's some rather... Uh, I think that the, ter- the, the, the saying topics. rubbing salt into an open wound comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I really do feel for them and I can't wait until we can get out and go for a big ride and spend a night in a pub or do something together. And um, so shout out to all those who are in lockdown and take it easy, guys. Sam, how about you? Can I be really cheeky and do two? No. I know. Hang on, Shirley. I think, you, you know, you're being too quick with this. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear his first one and then decide if we're going to take another one. That was almost as if you were ready and waiting with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you realize how loud you said that? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the first one kind of fits in with, um, in, in a sort of way, with what Brian's just been talking about um, and how we started the show. Um the Overland event was on last weekend, and I didn't manage to go for obvious reasons. But um, one of my friends, Sean, she decided that she was going to do something about that. So she printed out a big photograph of me, coated it in plastic, and put it on a, a bamboo pole. And she went around all of my friends at, at, at the event <laughs> and was getting people taking, um, having their photograph taken with me so that, and then posting them online so that I could be there with everybody. And I just thought, what a fantastic thing it is. And I tell you what, it just brings a lump to my throat, the, the thought of all of the amazing people that are involved with overlanding and adventure motorcycling. There's a particular breed of people, which I just think is pure class. So... Um, I hope that's all right. That was my first one. Can I just add to that plug, Sam? Yeah. There were more posts about you and that Overland Expo when you weren't there. <laughs> yes. Than last year when you were there. So I if you're looking for some kind of personal promotion, don't go anymore. Mm. No. No, absolutely. You get, you get more mentions when you're not there. I deleted all of the cheering comments and the emails. <laughs> okay, but um, th- so the other one is, um, if that's all right, um, I'd like to thank everybody who's been buying the Kindle versions of my books over the last month. I don't know what's been going on, but the sudden sales have just suddenly shot up. So if it's Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw listeners, thank you. And I hope you've been enjoying and if you haven't got around to it yet, then look in the show notes because um, I'm going to ask Jim and Elizabeth to put um, a link up for the Kindle versions of my books. So yeah. thank you. Cheers. Yeah, and and your Kindle versions, as you already know, I know. <laughs> Are you reading it? Which is really cool. And Graham's the same way with his books, reading their own audiobooks, which is pretty cool because I, I don't you know if you've ever bought a, an audiobook and had an actor reading it, somehow it just doesn't do it. Not for me anyway. I, I like hearing the voice of the author. I think that was really important to both Graham and I to be able to do it, you know, to, to narrate them ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know when we're buzzed about something and we know when we're afraid of something and when we're nervous or, or whatever else it may have been. And no actor is ever going to get that the uh-huh. same as the person who's been out there doing. No, you just get something from the from the voice and the personality that comes through even, you know, even if you're reading something. But um, no, that's great. So we'll, we'll put those links in the show notes. Graham, Thank how you. about you? 
No, no links this week, this month, nothing. Grant, what have you got? Well, I'll take one of uh, Graham's. Um, actually, I got a couple of three things to talk about briefly. Whoa, a couple or three. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. Precedent this? set. <laughs> Precedent set. What up and shit? Way to go, Sam. I've got to try. Hey. <laughs> no, I've had uh, some questions about the Achievable Dream. So I just want to mention, of course, the Achievable Dream video series is still available on Vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited. Always uh, a great Thing to keep you busy and occupied and get your brain going to help you plan for when you can get out and get out and do some traveling. Uh, it'll help make traveling a lot easier and get you organized. Um, that's all I've got. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps things up. That is the end of episode 56, September 2020. Great job, everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hello to everybody. Goodbye to everybody. See you on the road. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells at his website at grahamfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, Horizons Unlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 